Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right. Well, this has been an awesome morning at church so far, hasn't it? Yeah. So uh, last week we started a, uh, oh, let me, before I start, I'm wearing a t-shirt today to preach, which is a little out of the ordinary. Um, you, you're probably all thinking it, what is he doing? But uh, it, we'll get to it in just a second, all right? Got to address that t-shirt in the room. <laughs> okay, so we started a series last week called Practicing the Way of Jesus, and uh, I'm really excited about it. Um, We learned that we become what we practice. We took time to ask ourselves some tough questions, you know, and evaluate the practices we have in our lives, you know, and look for ones that might cause us to drift or become hollow or uh, drain our ability to give God undivided attention. We learned that there is no neutral. You're either practicing the way of Jesus or you're practicing something else entirely. And we learned that the apps and notifications on our phone don't help us practice the way of Jesus by default. Our phones are a tool we have to manage with great intention. So today, we're going to shift gears, and we're going to talk about two practices that have been helping me a lot. But I wanted to back up and tell you a little story about my life. I I alluded to it last week, I think. Um, But about a year ago, I was working... uh, demanding full-time job as an engineer, in which I'd been on call 24-7 for about eight years. And as if they knew I was going to say that this morning, they called last night. So <laughs> spring forward wasn't enough. They, they wanted to help me sleep just a little less. But I digress. Um, so working that demanding engineering job, I was pastoring here at New Day, which I love. I was coaching middle school basketball for Micah and then for Aaliyah, which I also love. On top of that, if you remember, we were in a pandemic and uh, COVID put a lot of pressure on us all. There were racial tensions in our country and we felt the pressure of that. And there was political tension. And uh, yeah, some of you remember, yeah. And so the sum of all that stuff for me was, uh, I just felt, kind of overwhelmed. Um, It got me wound really tight. I was just wound tight. Um, I would snip at Mary Lee and the kids, not because they deserved it, they don't deserve it, because I was just wound tight. (laughs) That was a joke, not a good joke. I would be like picky and critical and like anger was just coming out of me because of what was going on inside and affecting the people that I love the most, which just stinks. So something had to change. And so I did what wise people do when something needs to change. I asked Mark Morris a question. I said, Mark, you told me about this place you've gone to called the Hermitage. Tell me a little bit more about that. And so he told me what this place was. Uh, if you're wondering, it's, it's in the Three Rivers area. It's close by, and I highly recommend it. But um, it's a place that hosts silent retreats. And they make you healthy food, there are walking trails, there's like private rooms you can stay in, and then lots of like sitting areas to read and to pray. And that's what it's all about, and and nothing else, (laughs) Um, which is wonderful. So I went for about 24 hours, I made arrangements 
to uh, not be on call and turn off my phone. Um, and I walked and I prayed and I journaled and I just was seeking the Lord. Um, and it was the start for me of beginning to decompress and unwind. Later in the year, I found the book that we talked about last week called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and I ate that thing up. Um, here was a guy describing his experience of being wound tight and snapping at his family and uh, feeling overwhelmed inside. I could really relate to it. Um, he talked about the practices he added in his life. He's got a certain set of practices. Um, and I wanted in, so I picked some of them. And I just found ways to start integrating them into my life. I picked a few simple ways I could change my schedule in order to change my life. So one of the things I did later in the year was I asked Marilee for some Christmas presents. Um, I asked her for a set of t-shirts that could help remind me of the journey that I started. So here, take a look. It says, try to hold the microphone and not <laughs> block the t-shirt. It says... It says unwind, and it's got a picture, young people, of a cassette tape. <laughs> there are older people in the room thinking, Bill, let me tell you about what I listened to music on before the cassette tape. So we've all got our thing, right? Um, but yeah, when I was growing up, we had cassette tapes. And we even had like cassette tape adapters then to our CD players so you could play it in the car. But anyways, this shirt says unwind, and its purpose when I wear it, is to remind me that I'm unwinding from that tightly wound place where things are not going good. I'm pursuing peace instead. And like I said last week, I'm not a finished product. I'm a man in progress. I'm on the journey, but I wanted to invite you to join me on this journey of implementing practices. And uh, you may not, my story may not resonate with you perfectly. You may not feel like you're in the exact place I was a year ago. But regardless, implementing the practices we're talking about this month is a journey worth taking. So we're going to talk today about two practices, slowing and Sabbath. Two practices you can build into your schedule to change your life. <coughs> slowing is a practice best understood as setting a pace of life that matches the pace of Jesus. And I was thinking about this week, and I got to just stop right here and call an audible. Those of you who watch football know what I'm talking about. Quarterback gets to the line. There's a play they're going to run, and then he's, he looks at the defense in front of him, and he's like, oh, no, we got to run a different play. So he calls an audible. And this week, I got to the line, and I was like, we got to call an audible for new day. <laughs> so I'm like, green 18, green 18. And then I look over and call the audible. Okay, here we go. Sports fans are like tracking. Everyone else is like, Okay, we're not going to go with slowing this week because I realize that may not fit with some of your experiences. Maybe some of you aren't working two jobs, running kids all over town and coaching basketball, and that's totally fine. Some of you might have the opposite issue in your life. Maybe you have trouble engaging with life. You don't feel busy and burnt out. Maybe you feel numb and a little lost in the world right now. You're unsure of how to engage. So we're going to change the name of the first practice on the fly this morning. Sorry, John Mark Comer, but we're going to go with pacing and Sabbath. All right? Yeah, we're going to go with pacing and Sabbath. If you want to talk about football after service, just come see me. I'd be happy to talk to you about football, even though the season's over. Okay, and even though my favorite football player retired this year, 
That's why I brought the Kleenex in case I had to. <laughs> I'm in a mood today, guys. We had fun last night. We're short on sleep. I'm in a mood to joke around. Okay, there's a real problem with the pace of the world, you guys. There is a problem. Many of us are moving at warp speed. We are extremely busy. Our weekly schedule is packed to the brim. Our to-do lists are long. And the companies we work for are asking us to do more with less people. More, more, more. Even buying happens fast today, if you're an Amazon Prime member. Then there's the other pace of the world. That is also trouble. Endless hours of entertainment are at your fingertips. You're aware of this. You can sit down and watch a show. You start a new show, and before you know it, season one is in the rearview mirror, and it's definitely time for bed. Don't raise your hand if, that's, if you've done that. Video games fill up time in the same way. They have this like hook today to keep you playing like they didn't when I was a kid. Cassette tapes, Sega Genesis, Tecmo Super Bowl, okay? That's my, that was my teenage childhood. You don't even have to get in the car to catch the latest movie release if you're subscribed to the right streaming service. So for many of us, this merry-go-round called life is spinning so fast, we're just hanging on for dear life. For others, it seems like there's no good reason to actually get off the couch and go see friends or do whatever. And actually, a lot of us flip back and forth between the two. It's really easy to get plugged into these paces. And there's a risk that we will fail to walk with Jesus because we're not moving at his pace. Meaning, purpose, the voice of God? Who's got time to ask questions like that when there's a backlog of entertainment and a never-ending to-do list? Am I right? <laughs> it's in the atmosphere of all of that that the practice of pacing becomes so valuable. Comer said this, if we can slow down both the pace at which we think and the pace at which we move our bodies through the world, maybe we can slow down our souls to a pace at which they can taste and see that the Lord is good. Pacing. You're probably not going to find that word in your Bible unless you've got a really exotic translation, in which case I want to see it. But we're going to find the principle loud and clear when we take a little deeper look. Remember last week when we talked about the guy in Mark chapter 10 who was invited to come follow Jesus. Jesus said to him, come follow me. It was an invitation to learn from Jesus, to observe how Jesus did life, and to come do it with him. And the man said no, he declined, which is a bummer. But others said yes, like Peter and James and John and Matthew. When they accepted this invitation from Jesus, they were signing up for something, to move with Jesus at his pace through the world. Jesus made a really cool word picture for this, okay? So we're going to read it. <coughs> he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. If you're thinking of eggs, I've got something to help you out. This is the yoke that he was talking about. If you're thinking of eggs, the yoke's on you. I couldn't pass. 
Like I said, short on sleep. I couldn't pass that one up. <laughs> Don't get lost in the dad jokes and shaking your head at me. Let's go. Okay, come back. Re, re, reel it in. Reel it in. Okay. The yoke. Take my yoke upon you. So here's a picture. The wooden harness between these two animals is the yoke. And um, I'm just going to extrapolate what Jesus said a little bit. I think uh, Father God's like the guy on the cart. He's the one in charge here, saying where we go and what work we do. Jesus is the big, strong animal on the right-hand side of the slide. And we're the smaller animal on the left. We're along for the ride to help out as much as we can and learn from Jesus. That's what taking his yoke upon us looks like. He's in charge. We go where he wants to go. He sets the pace, but we can trust that it's a pace we can follow because he's gentle and humble. He carries the lion's share of the load. That's why he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Hopefully that helps you make sense of it. A good picture for thinking about pacing. The Apostle Paul gave us a different way to think about it. He said in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It all works really well when we submit to it, when we're willing to go with the flow of God. But I have a question for you. How do you know if you're getting it right? And I'll answer it. Jesus says, if you're getting it right, you will find rest for your soul. So if you're operating out of a place of deep restfulness, you're getting it right. But if you're yoked to Jesus and you're trying to set your own pace of life, or following the worlds, you're going to feel the pain. He's bigger and stronger. You're going to move at his pace or you're going to feel the pain of fighting him. And he's not causing you pain to punish you. He's just setting the right pace for your soul. And if you settle into his pace, you're going to see how awesome that is. Paul describes another way to evaluate things. If we're keeping in step with the Spirit, Paul says we will have fruit to show for it. This is also in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and the list goes on. So if the state of your soul is described by these fruits of the Spirit, you're doing great. It's a way to know that you're doing it right. And I just want to point out, again, there's two ways to get out of step with the fruits of the Spirit, out of step with love, joy, peace, and patience. One is to be too busy for them, and the other is to be too passive or distracted to engage with them. Thinking about the fruit of the Spirit that's love, uh, a Japanese theologian said, love has its speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It's the speed we walk. And therefore, the speed, the love of God walks. Let me pause and get a drink. That one like, takes a little to digest, so I gave you a minute. I also want to explain it. Jesus walks at the speed of love. What that means is creator, almighty God took on flesh. He became one of us. And he slowed down to our pace because he loved us. 
And so the question we have to ask ourselves if we're out of step of the Spirit is, are we willing to do that for others? Will we leave the fast pace of the world to move at love's speed? Or on the flip side, will we wake up from our distractions and offer the fruits of the Spirit to others? Love happens at the pace of Jesus. Good word, Bill. How do we practice pacing? These are my two ideas for you to help you start the practice of pacing or, or continue it if you've got it going. Start your day at the pace of Jesus and embrace waiting. Those are the two ways, all right? So start your day at the pace of Jesus. Here's the beginning. Don't touch your phone in the morning until your quiet time is finished. Or when you get up, if it's your alarm clock, it's mine. Go find a spot where you're going to put it away and put it where you can't see it or hear it. Just leading by example. Switch to a paper Bible. At least for the first few minutes of your day, get up, make some coffee or tea, whatever comfort drink you enjoy, and then just be with God in the quiet for a few minutes. Read his word Pray, journal, and listen. My encouragement is don't over-spiritualize this. You can just be still in his presence and enjoy that hazelnut coffee. It's my favorite flavor. (laughs) We'll talk more next week about how to kind of maximize this time. It'll be what the practices are that we talk about next week. But for now, just think about scheduling the time, turning off your phone. What you're doing is waking up and hitching yourself to the yoke of Jesus. First thing. You can even make that your prayer. Here's a little example prayer that I think would just be an awesome way to do this practice. You could say, Jesus, your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. I embrace your yoke today. I'm committed to learning to move at your pace. I'm committed to walking in step with you today. And there you have it, starting your day with Jesus. Here's what John Mark Comer says about it in the book. He says, do not let your phone set your emotional equilibrium and your news feed set your view of the world. Let prayer set your emotional equilibrium and scripture set your view of the world. Begin your day in the spirit of God's presence and the truth of his scriptures. And... (laughs) I can tell you it makes a difference. I'm doing so much better than a year ago, and this is probably the number one reason why, you guys. That's why I'm sharing it with you. I do it. What I just described is what I do, and it's great. It is great. So it's an incredible way to start your day, but eventually you've got to go to work or school. You know, you got to start taking care of the kids. Eventually, you're going to go back and turn on your phone. Um, Whatever your daily life looks like is going to come flooding in at some point. And so that's why we have a second practice. Embrace waiting. We start our day at the pace of Jesus. We yoke ourselves to him in the morning. And then we're going to embrace waiting. This is taking the micro moments of the day and using them to remember that morning quiet time. 
to remember we're yoked to Jesus. It could be just one second before you step into a meeting at work. It could be on your lunch break. It could be when you're waiting in line at Starbucks or McDonald's. I don't know what your day looks like, but I know that you have moments of waiting, moments of in-between, and you can train them to serve you well. Comer writes about this. He says, all those little moments of boredom are potential portals to prayer. Little moments throughout our day where we can wake up to the reality of God all around us, where we can wake up our own souls and draw our mind's attention back to God. We can come home to awareness. He also warns us about the pull of society away from waiting and stillness. He says, he's so right. (laughs) Don't raise your hands if, if this is you, it's been me. He says, the second we even feel a hint of boredom coming on, we reach for the appendages that are our smartphones. This new normal of hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present. The noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input that we need the most. He calls smartphones appendages. That's like an arm. He's like, this thing has become a part of our body. Our new normal is ding, ding, oh, you know, checking social media, checking the news, checking for text messages, whatever, however you use it. It distracts us from our ability to be present if we let it set the pace of our life. So by embracing waiting instead of avoiding boredom, we can unyoke from that technology draw. We can make time to pray and pay attention to God. And that's moving at the pace of Jesus. You could even do some really crazy ideas. <laughs> Marilee laughs because she knows what's coming. Really crazy ideas to, to have moments of waiting in your day. You could, brace yourselves, you could get in the longest line at the checkout at the grocery store. Okay, I know that wasn't crazy enough, obviously, because no one reacted, but let's try this one on you. You could drive the speed limit. Yeah, now I know we're getting crazy. And while you're driving the speed limit, you could turn off the radio, the podcast, the music, whatever, and drive in silence. I'm sorry, I've gone too far. (laughs) Somebody just got up and pretended to leave. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) You could go pick up your kids from their activity five minutes early and just spend time sitting in the car in the quiet. All right, what we're doing, if we do these crazy ideas, is cultivating patience by making ourselves wait. It's a pushback against the pull of society. All right, so we're starting our day with Jesus at his pace. We're looking for moments throughout the day where we unplug from the pace of the world and reconnect with the yoke of Jesus. And if you practice pacing, I promise you, you will find true rest for your soul. One more practice today, and it's Sabbath. <clears throat> but first, I want to I give you a word picture. Has, raise your hand on this one. Has anybody ever taken a road trip where you drive your car through the mountains? Raise your hand. All right, good, good. I picked a good one. A lot of hands. 
If nobody raised their hands, I'd have to call another audible. I'd explain more football. It'd be so confusing. Okay. So imagine driving through the mountains and you're coming down one of those huge mountain roads, okay? It's really steep. A lot of, in a lot of ways, pacing is like using the brakes to control your speed on that road, okay? The world is pulling us like gravity into its pace, either a frenetic, crazy fast pace or that distracted pace of entertainment. And we put on the brakes when we do pacing to stay at the pace of Jesus. Now, Sabbath, on the other hand, is like taking the off-ramp to get off the highway, pulling over at a rest stop, and getting out of the car for a break. Sabbath, the word used for Sabbath in the Old Testament means stop or rest. And it, it comes uh, to us early in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 2, is the first time it's used. It says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let me get another drink, guys. Did you embrace the waiting? I didn't see any cell phones come out. Good job. Okay. So in Genesis 2, we get the biblical template or picture for Sabbath. All right? God works. He creates the whole world. Six days of creation. Then God stops. He rests. And he spends time with his people in the Garden of Eden. It's perfect. And as far as we know, it would have lasted forever. The perfect Sabbath rest in perfect relationship, God and humanity. But, as you know, if you've read Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, and the perfect rest with God is broken. It ends. But, there's good news. The whole biblical story builds up to restoration, to a redemption of the Sabbath rest with God. The weekly Sabbath practice that we read about in the Old Testament that the Israelites did points to the redemption. Every week, God's people rest and worship and spend time with him and one another, and they're remembering the Eden ideal. They're looking forward to the day when it's true again. And it happens throughout the Old Testament. That's a lot of history. Ooh, more water. Thank you, Marilyn. Okay, now enter Jesus, guys. Hundreds of years of practicing Sabbath, remembering the ideal rest and pointing toward the rest in the future. Now Jesus comes. He brings the kingdom of God to the earth and makes a way for us back to unbroken relationship with God. He is the way back to Eden, the way back to rest. After all, he said, you will find rest for your souls in him. So here's the big idea of that. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath practice in the Old Testament. So with all this in mind, we realize we're not obligated to do a 24 hours, you know, observing of all the Sabbath rules and regulations that we see in the Old Testament. But as New Testament, 21st century Christians, we should be a walking example of the Sabbath fulfillment in Jesus. 
Colossians chapter 2 talks about Sabbath, and Paul calls strict Sabbath observance, quote, a shadow of the things to come. And he says that the substance belongs to Christ. On their website, the Bible Project says this, It is not a commandment we are bound to. It's a promise we're invited to. To stop working, truly rest in God's presence. When we practice this intentional stop, we make room for him to take up residence in our individual lives. Does that make sense? It's a promise we're invited to. Where we actually get rest and communion with God. Jesus put it this way. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Jesus shows up and he's got to correct the religious leaders, the Pharisees who lived in his day. They had elevated the rules of the Sabbath above the heart of God. They didn't even want Jesus to heal people on the Sabbath. How messed up is that? Yeah, they got it flipped upside down. Now, Gary Berg wrote in a book, um, what, he imagined what it might be like if Jesus showed up to talk about Sabbath today. And he said, Jesus might ask us how we're weaving this rhythm of rest purposefully into our lives. How are we respecting the fourth commandment? He goes on to say, we struggle with the notion of rest at a profound cultural level. And because of this, we mismanage this weekly gift, perhaps as sorely as anyone in the first century. What he's kind of hinting at is we've got the opposite mistake of those Pharisees. I think he's right. Sabbath is truly a gift from God. And it's easy for us to mismanage it or just ignore it altogether. We can mismanage it by confusing a holy day of rest as simply just taking a day off at our jobs and kind of miss the point. Or we chalk it up to Old Testament law and regulations, and I'm not a Pharisee, so we just write it off and ignore it. But in both of those cases, we're missing out on that amazing gift from God. So I want to talk about three ways that Sabbath is truly a gift, okay? It's true rest, it's provision, and it prevents oppression and materialism, okay? <clears throat> And then we'll talk about how to practice it, all right? Are you with me? If so, say, call an audible bill. <laughs> Football jokes, just to make sure you're still there. Okay, so we talked about how if we yoke ourselves to Jesus, we'll find rest for our souls. Jesus stops and rests. Your soul needs true rest, and only he can provide it. Remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. One of those awesome things in there that it talks about how he shepherds us is it says he restores my soul. So the Jesus way of resting provides what your soul needs like nothing else can. Listen, guys, when you watch TV shows, play video games, watch movies, it's like hitting a pause button on all the things that burden you. As soon as you're done and you turn it off, it's all there again. You just paused it. <laughs> to use the cassette tape analogy, you know, you just, <laughs> we didn't eject the tape and pull it out. We just paused it. And as soon as we're back, it's playing again. 
the Jesus style rest actually unburdens your soul. True rest. Okay, provision. So God, we talked about this this morning. I think Marilee talked about it this morning. God doesn't take away provision by saying you can't work one day. He doesn't institute a Sabbath day of rest to make you one-seventh poorer. (laughs) Okay? Isaiah 58 says this. This is God talking. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, if you honor it, then you will find your joy in the Lord. I will cause you, this is God talking, this is promise time. I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. God's promising to provide you with a feast as you work and rest in the rhythms that he designed. All right, yesterday in our reading plan, if you're joining us reading the Bible in one year, You read Leviticus 25 yesterday. And even the land itself gets a rest. One out of every seven years, God's people are commanded in the Old Testament to not farm the land. Just let it grow. Whatever grows up, grows up, and don't farm it. And uh, (laughs) God anticipates a question coming from his people. In Leviticus 25, 20, and 21, he says, he says to them, And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year? If we may not sow or gather in our crop? They're like, God, what are we going to eat? Are we going to starve? Are you going to provide for us? Here's what God says. I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. God promises generous provision to his people as they stop and rest and move in his rhythms. Did you know God's people even took a rest when they were busy? Marilee pointed this one out. It's a good point, Marilee. Exodus 34, 21, it says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And so as we look to apply this practice to our lives, we're without excuse when we're busy. Their livelihood was farming, you know? And in plowing time and in harvest, the two most critical times in the year, when they're thinking about having provision to last for their families, they rested. And so if it's a busy time at work, if you're busy preparing for exams at school, you know, whatever age your kids are at that you're caring for can feel very busy. But God will provide if you take time to rest. Okay, Uh, the third thing, Sabbath prevents oppression and materialism. If you're like, what the, what in the world, Bill, are we we going? It's kind of symbolic, but it's really, really good and deep. We don't have time for a full treatment of it, but I'm going to skim across some of these ideas. The command to observe the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments in Exodus, and it's retold in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And there's a different emphasis in Deuteronomy when you look it up later. God says, stop for your own good, but also so that, quote, your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. It goes on to say, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So are you getting that? God's people were oppressed for 400 years as slaves in Egypt. 
eventually God brings them out through the Red Sea and the wilderness, and they get to the promised land, and God sets up a whole new structure of life for them, for his nation of his people. And he builds into their way of life a protection from becoming harsh taskmasters just like the Egyptians were to them. Every week, the Israelite servants got rest for a day. The land got rest once every seven years. Even their farm animals got rest. So if we come back to the land rest thing, we learn that whatever is produced naturally by the land and the gift of God in that seventh year is common property. Anyone can just walk up to your field in the rest year and eat. God's Sabbath rest provides for the poor in that way. Even more radically, um, there's something called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, anyone who had, say they fell on hard times, they didn't have enough money, so they sell their land. And they still don't have enough to survive. So they sell their own labor. They become the servant of another person. In the 50th year, they're freed from their service to that person, and the land is restored to its original owner. This prevents the rich from oppressing the poor long term. So when we stop and rest too, we can think about that, how God provides not only for us, but also for the poor in our community. We can look for ways where our Sabbath can be that provision. All right, one more thing. Sabbath runs counter to materialism. The Egyptians worked the Israelite slaves more and more to build their kingdom. And we could be tempted to work more and more to build our own little kingdom, you know, to get the nice car, the bigger house, the little gadget, or whatever it is. You know, maybe if I just work a little more, I can get some extra money and I can get the thing. We think maybe it'll make us more happy, but it never really does. And Sabbath is a way to reject this materialistic approach to life. So guys, hard work is good, but God could foresee our tendency and our temptation to just work more and more, to be materialistic. And so Sabbath puts guardrails on that. It puts guardrails on the desire to accumulate more wealth at the expense of others. Let's go back to John Mark Comer. He said, Sabbath is a way to stay free and make sure you never get sucked back into slavery. Or worse, become a slave driver yourself. He says, this is really good and funny. He says, just take a, a day each week and stick it to the man. Don't buy, don't sell, don't shop, don't surf the web. Just put all of that away and enjoy. Drink deeply from the well of ordinary life, a meal with friends, time with family, a walk in the forest, or afternoon tea. Above all, he says, slow down long enough to enjoy life with God, who offers everything that materialism promises but can never deliver on. <clears throat> okay, how do we practice Sabbath? Three tips. They're pretty simple. One is schedule time. When you don't work, shop, or finish things on your to-do list, and you certainly don't look at your phone. Two, use the time to worship, connect with family and friends, and truly rest. And three, start small. If you don't have a current practice of Sabbath in your life, it's really important that you start small, guys. Remember, it's a practice. When you start practicing an instrument, a sport, 
you're not always real good at it at the beginning, but you practice and you get better. So expect it to be clunky and difficult. You may not like it if you've never done it before, but if you stick with it, you're going to enter into all of God's promises and it's going to be so good. You've got a lifetime to get better at it. So give yourself some grace and start small. All right, we're wrapping up. Heads up, we're wrapping up. You're invited to join me on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. We can do pacing and Sabbath as practices to change our lives. If you do, I'm confident, like Jesus said, you'll find rest for your souls. Or as we read in the book of Hebrews, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Merely, why don't you come and wrap it up? Good job. Yeah, well, let's just stand and pray in response. Father, thank you for um, highlighting to us this morning the importance of living life at your pace and of integrating true rest into our schedules and uh, just the abundant gift that's there when we when we receive that invitation that you have for us. So, Father, um, right now we just just want you guys to evaluate your life right now as far as the pacing first. Bill said that one of the ways um, that we can tell if we're yoked with Jesus is if we are living from a place of rest. And we have feel that peace throughout our day. And if not, then we're not yoked. We're not going his pace. So, Father, we just repent for um, being out of step with you. And we just come up under your yoke. Help us to stay there and walk there and, and quickly go back there when we, when we forget. Pray blessing over everyone as they um, think about that and incorporate that into their life this week. I also pray for us regarding true rest, Lord. Many of us have never done that. When when we rest, we it's it's like a, a false rest because on the other side of it, we're still stressed out and we just press the pause button. So I pray that you would just teach us as a congregation, as Bill's leading us in that, and he's leading our families, leading this church family to um, learn how to get good at it. And I pray that we, we would, we would just engage with that. In Jesus' name.